0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.
1: Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio.
3: And welcome everyone, and we're so appreciative of all of you that are following our show, From Good to Amazing. Many of you perhaps will remember a few months ago when we had Denise de Simone on our show. She is a very successful author of the book, From Stage 4 to Center Stage, and she has helped hundreds of thousands of people and understanding the process of befriending cancer rather than denying it or resisting it and how in her own life she was able to overcome um, her disease into a place of peace and joy and making a difference in the world. Denise, thank you for agreeing once again to be on our show. I've been very excited to have you back once again.
4: Well, Temple, it is my pleasure and I'm very excited to be with you once again.
3: And one of the things that we alluded to when we talked about uh, the program before and you shared some tools that you had used to move your life from good to amazing, you were talking about some challenging times that you had had in your life when you were just wanting to be your authentic self. We kind of featured the show today as the idea of someone like you being disinherited um, by your father. How did that story occur in your life with your family? And give us some background about that.
4: Sure. Well, I, had, I have a very um, large Italian family. Both sides of my uh, ancestors are straight from Italy, and I grew up in a very Italian section of my, of my town. And, you know, Italians, as with any ethnic group, tend to be very tight-knit, and uh, I grew up Catholic, and I grew up with a lot of love and care and um my parents were hardworking <clears throat> excuse me middle class middle class folks. And at the time um I had been diagnosed with cancer, my folks had already passed on. But what had happened prior to that was several years before that. I was I was probably well into my early to mid thirties. And um it was one evening when Oprah was doing a show on um, Gay Pride Week. And I, like I had been spending lots of time with my folks, I'd probably be there two, three nights a week, hanging out, maybe have dinner. I didn't live that far away from them. And um, I was. we were watching television waiting for my partner at the time to come in and have dinner with us. And I said something like, you know... I'm so glad because Oprah had all these horror stories on and parents disinheriting and folks getting, um, you know, kicked out of their families and never spoken to again. And I said my dad was at his perch of his head of the table and my mom was, of course, where she was always at, the stove. And I just casually said, you know, geez, you know, I'm just so happy that you guys love me no matter what. And my father looked at me and he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, this show is all about gay people and, you know, their parents disowning them and their families having nothing to do with them and and I'm just happy that you just love me, you know, gay or not. And my father said, well, I didn't know you were gay. Now, I'm 30-something years old. I've been with women since I was 22. And not because I had been with men as well. I'm not one of these women that has always just been with women. I had high school boyfriends. I was um, pretty close to engagement for a couple of years after high school with a very delightful man who's actually a very best friend of me of mine in, in my life at this point. And so my mom isn't moving. She's—it's almost like her feet are glued to the floor. Temple. She's just she's stirring the pot while I'm stirring the pot. And then I'm thinking, oh jeez, what have I done? And so my father says, "Actually, it's a." Um, Time to Heal, the chapter in the book tells about it. And I wrote it in a serious way, but it's rather comical, the way I write. Because my mom is always back and forth, forth and back to sink the stove. You know, my mother was a great cook and a great baker. Her life was about feeding people. And she's not moving. She is dead straight ahead, looking at this wall behind the stove. And my father says, Lillian, did you know your daughter, now I become his, her daughter, not his, right? Did you know that your daughter was gay? And right then, my partner, who was always just full of life and, and just fanfare followed her wherever she went, she comes bumbling in the house, hey, Desi, because that's what she called me, Desi. Hey, Johnny, hey, Lil, and goes over, kisses my father on the forehead like she always did, and then stops and senses that, this, that something's not right here. And I, as my parents, almost like they're invisible, she says, Desi, what's happened? What's going on? And I tell her what's happened, and we sit and we eat in silence, and uh, she leaves, and as we're about to leave, I'm about to leave, my dad says, Denise, and I said, yeah. And he said, you are my daughter, and I love you. And I said, thank you. And he said, and you are always welcome in this home, but she is not. Oh,
3: my goodness.
4: And I walked out of the house. So the next day, my mother called me, and she said, how are you doing? Now, I didn't, unbeknownst to me, my sisters call me, my brothers call me, my my oldest sister, 17 years my senior, she goes down to my father's house and reads them the riot act. You know, you go to church and you preach and you pray and blah, 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 and you're nothing but a hypocrite, da, 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 da. Meanwhile, my sister has a daughter who's gay and has been married to the same woman for 25 years. So my, my mom calls me the next day and she said, well, how are you doing? I said, well... You know, I'm kind of—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm basically in shock. How the heck have you guys not known this? I mean, this is ridiculous. Come on. So my, my mom said, "Well, I just want to tell you that I told your father after you left that this is my house too, and you and Annie can come, and you can visit this house whenever you want, and if he doesn't like it, he can go out." <laughs>
3: Well, I think that's a key point, um, Denise, because I think that um, often people will say along the way, well, you know good and well that your parents and and that your family knows. Um, I know that people used to say that to me. They would say, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I'm I'm sure, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. sure that other people know. But Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge assumption uh, Mm -hmm. that people make, uh, Mm -hmm. especially if, if people aren't living in that reality or if they are in denial of that reality or um, they don't want to look at that reality, which is probably the case in your in your father's case, because mm-hmm. here you and Annie had been together for quite some time, so he definitely were able, was able to see you interact and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can never assume that, that someone knows unless we have just out and out told them and shared with them you know about our life. That must have been so shocking for you um, to not be accepted immediately because of the kind of open relationship you had, had with your father. And I think that's what's so hard uh, for those of us that have walked this path is that you're like you go from being somebody's favorite person to um, I don't want to have anything to do with you, and the only thing that's changed is is one idea that's what makes it so challenging and so hard.
4: And you know the interesting part of it that does make it challenging and hard and my my dad it was my, we and I'll get to this because I think this is not only a critical point to t- speak about and talk about and and help each other heal from and there is my dad and I ended up coming around he never um, changed his mind about giving me no piece of the, the home, the the, the, um, the uh, family home. One afternoon, he, I was out. I know exactly where I was standing. I could tell you pretty much what I was wearing, and this is years ago. And we were out in the backyard, and he said, you know, I just want you to know that because of the lifestyle you've chosen, I've chosen to disinherit you, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but you have no rights to this home. He owned a beautiful big two-family home where we all grew up, and he gave the entire home to my sister, basically because I was living a lifestyle he did not agree with. And I never said a thing. In fact, it wasn't until I wrote the book that my sister, who got the house, actually knew exactly what happened. He just went to her one day and said, you know, this I'm just giving this house to you, and uh, nobody has any rights to any part of it but you, and your sister will be fine, and that's the end of that. She, didn't, she never, never even really knew why or what was said, and so here I am, years later, stuffing this stuff. I get stage four throat and neck cancer. I'm eating through a tube. I'm looking at. I don't want to battle this cancer. I need to make friends. I need to know what it came to teach me. And you know, this is our this is our center of truth, our, our throat chakra, and I teach sound healing, so I'm always teaching people how to you know speak what it is you need to speak cuz you get you let stuff get stuck inside of us and that's what disease is about right absolutely
0: mm-hmm. and
4: so my my dad you know i think that was his only recourse i think you know i know my dad loved me and i think for for a lot of us that we feel like a you know we're disowned or disinherited or we get into arguments and they don't understand but underneath it I doubted it, but I knew eventually, and I really know now, my dad loved me. There's no two ways about it. My father loved me. I think, I don't know if parents can ever not love a child. That just seems so unnatural, doesn't it?
3: It really does.
4: So, you know, I think for for part of the healing was I had to get to the point where I said, you know what, I know my dad loved me. And I, during my healing process, I'll tell you, I went to... um a healer from China. No, Korea, sorry. And she spoke very broken English, and she laid me down on the floor, a special Korean mat, and I had my head on a wooden block, and she kept tapping my chest, and she kept saying, be in body, be in body, be in body. And I'm like, I am in my darn body. (laughs) She's like, be in body. This went on for like an hour, Temple. It was like, this is... This is crazy. I don't know the purpose of this. Well, this woman was getting me out of my busy head into the heart center where I was holding a lot. And that, well, the second or third time I went to her, she looked at me and she said, um, you know, father alive? And I said, no, my father's dead. Mother alive? So she goes through grandparents and all of this stuff. I said, no, they're all passed away. Okay. Um, your father do best he can do? I say, no, absolutely not. My father did not do the best he could do. And I went on a rant about all the things that he didn't do right, and she looked at me, and she put her hand on my chest, and she said, you do best you can do? And I said, yes, I'm doing the best I can do. Now, I'm sick. I am like eating from a tube. I can hardly talk. I'm emaciated. I've got that cancer gray color look. My eyes are sunken in. I'm saying, yes, I can, I'm doing the best I can do. And she said to me very softly, then why not Father do best he can do? And I will tell you, I don't know what happened to me. In that instant, I got it, that my father did the best that he could have done. Do I wish it would have been different? Yes, but he did the best that he could do. And that piece was so critical and essential to my healing when I was dealing with cancer. To be able to get into that, because I think forgiveness is really the first step to loving ourselves, to letting go of the wounds, to healing—not not forgetting. Because there's some—I'm not saying that people can go be you know shoot people up and do all that crazy stuff, and we just go, "Oh, isn't that nice? I forgive you." No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about deep-seated woundedness that deserves, we deserve to have the vibration of healing within ourselves, and those are the kinds of things and steps that I believe we need to take. That's what I took. I can only talk about my experience. Mm -hmm. And my father actually died in my arms. My father came around before he, like I said, he never changed his mind about the home, but um, he ended up really um embracing me and when when he came down to it and he was about to die everybody got freaked out there were about 14 people in the room and i just went to him and pretty much cradled him like a baby and he died in my arms
3: oh that is so that is so beautiful well my my partner um her mom and i were very close we were dear friends and then when she found out for sure that you know we were a couple. Um, her first response was that, um, you know, in the future that I could sleep in the in the boys' house and that I, you know, wasn't welcome in the main house and I wasn't welcome um, in the home. And my partner said, um, well, Mom, I just need you to know that, um, you know, Temple is permanently in my life. And if you're denying her uh, coming into the property or, you know, coming into your home, then you're also speaking to me before you start making a lot of isms and a lot of rules you may want to consider really thinking about that because um this is real and we're real and we're we're here to stay and i was uh, very proud of her mother that was you know in her 80s um that was able to then um as a few months passed Call and invite us to Christmas, and actually say, um, "I know that love is love, and how can love ever be wrong?" And I think oh. that's, a, that's a very uh, profound and powerful um, thought. Is as we look at you know our world today and uh, people choosing sides and all the various things that are going on. It's that love is love, and it's nothing more healing than that wonderful presence and power of love and um, allowing other people to love who they want to love and who they you know, care about. Um, I only wish that I had communicated with my with my parents a lot younger in my life about what was really going on because i I feel that i I cheated them from a lot of my life because of the secrets and The things I was not able to share with them about, you know, what was going on with me and experiences that I had. Um, Mm -hmm. But yet, you know, you only have today and you just start with, you know, where you are and with what you know. But um, if I were doing it over again, I would have definitely been more open um, a lot longer and for a lot more years uh, Mm -hmm. than I was because um, I have had such joy in my family. Uh, being a fully communicative type person and I think that's very you know interesting when we're extroverted it it's very difficult when there's this whole side of your life that you don't talk about or, or share you know so um but anyway we're we're talking today about um, the subject of of being gay and how that relates to other people that are in your life and your relatives and people that in are in re- Relationship with you, and we're talking with Denise de Simone about her process and her experience of life and how she has been able to come into more of her authentic self, how cancer was the. T- that brought her there and yet the the teachings of life that have secured her in that knowing. I'm Temple Hayes and I want to thank you for joining us from good to amazing and thank all of you for your continuous support of Unity Online Radio which allows us to get this powerful message out in the world today. Thank you. We'll be right back after this short break.
5: If you've tuned in for Touching the Stillness with host Reverend Paulette Pipe, then you know the power of her soul-stirring meditations. And if her programs leave you wanting more, you can purchase her meditation CD, Touching the Stillness, and you'll be able to take Paulette's calming voice along with you wherever you go. This enthralling CD contains three separate self-contained meditations that can either be listened to in one sitting or One at a time, whatever your preference, Paulette's mesmerizing voice will transport you beyond thoughts and sounds to a sacred place of stillness and soul remembrance. So go ahead, enliven your meditation practice with the Touching the Stillness CD from Reverend Paulette Pipe and let the stillness touch you. To obtain your copy, go to www.unity.org and click on shop. That's www.unity.org and click on shop.
0: Online radio is turning five this year, and we're throwing the biggest bash of all a cruise to the Caribbean. November 10 through 17, 2012. We'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite hosts will be there, and we hope you will join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, visit www.unity.fm forward slash cruise.
2: Thank you for tuning in for From Good to Amazing with Rev. Temple Hayes. If you have a question or comment about today's discussion, you can email us at amazing at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Rev. Temple Hayes.
3: And welcome back, everyone, and we're talking to Denise Simone. You can go to denisedesimone.com to her website and read more about her and her fabulous work. Her book, her very popular book, From Stage 4 to Center Stage, Uh, Denise has triumphed over many situations in her life and circumstances, and today we're talking about um, when she came out to her family when she was in her mid-30s as a gay woman and what that was like for her and those experiences of being accepted and rejected at the same time. Denise, do you feel that we are born uh, this way? Do you feel that you you were born gay or do you feel that it is a choice that you've made?
4: You know, that's a very interesting question. I, I don't know that I was born gay, although I do believe that there are situations that that is the case. Um, I... Had you know when I was young, I always you know had strong affinities for for friends of mine, female friends, but you know, in high school, I dated boys, and I after high school dated boys and um I think it was more more than anything it's really for me in a lot of ways, it's the person that shows up in your life that you're with, and i for me, I would have to say it was definitely a tendency toward that way, but it was definitely a choice. It was definitely a choice.
3: And when you realize in your 20s that you were with um a woman in your particular environment, did you find that difficult?
4: Well, you know, I mean and then when I was in my 20s, we're talking about, you know, this is in the um in the early 80s, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Um, n- none of this was accepted, you know. You had to hide and none of it was, was accepted. And I I felt um, I, I had not come out. I just, you know, and again, what, relating back to what we said or referring back to what we said uh, in the last segment, you know, you think people know, but they don't know. I thought my family knew. I thought my, you know, a lot of my friends knew. I told a lot of my friends, but I didn't tell, sit down and have that conversation with my folks. Um, and I would probably suggest that people do that. I think I think um, what you said earlier about denying your <clears throat> living with secrets and not having that conversation, had that conversation with your family, It, I believe it makes a difference. And if you're going to be rejected, well, then you know what you're dealing with. And I think then we can go inside of ourselves and find the support, maybe in a support group or with our friends, to heal that place of rejection. And for me, it made me stronger about who I am as a person. You know, I don't know if that's that is makes sense or not, but, you know, it just made me stronger as a person and knew that, you know, that's that person's misunderstanding. Because, you know, when you think about we're Christians and and we believe in, in what Jesus taught us, and I believe in do unto others, you know. I don't... It doesn't I mean if people's not if people aren't hurting people, well then then it's really not your business what I'm doing with my partner and the person I choose to have my love relationship with.
3: Well I think when we talk about the realm of healing, um I, I think it's so true. Uh Edgar Casey said that the number of times you share your story, uh divides your story each and every time. And I I would say that um, looking at my own life experience, that that would definitely be true. I remember the first few times of telling anyone uh, that I was living in a gay relationship, how terrified I was. So I used to feel like, you know, the, the sky opened up and the thunderclouds would vibrate at such an intense level and my hands would be soaking wet and I was just... like I just wasn't ever going to make it through the conversation. (laughs) It was just horrible. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, it was just horrible. And I would think, well, I took care of that, you know, never hear from that person again. Or, well, they'll never have anything else to do with me. Or, you know, well, that was nice. I would just automatically assume, you know, that the uh, worst-case scenario was going to happen but fortunately yeah. for me, um, it was anything but that. And and usually uh, the people would, you know, my friends would always say, "Well, I kind of thought that," or, you know, "I I'm so glad that you felt or mm-hmm. that you feel or that you privileged me with that information," and yeah. um, and and that's been part of this, you know, of the process. That you know, today it's like, okay, this is life, and. Um, you either accept me or you don't accept me, and um, hopefully that—that's not even all of you know how I will be perceived as a human being because there's so much more, um, you know, to me than just that. So, um, it, it, but it definitely a is a journey, point. and for it's—it's it's part of the journey, and and for those of you that are that are listening that are still uncomfortable in your skin in. You know, the good news is, um, eventually that will change, and you're not always going to stay there. But the, you have to walk through it. You know, it's mm-hmm. it doesn't just go away. It it mm-hmm. requires you to take little baby steps until finally you become so comfortable with yourself that anything or anyone uh, denying or rejecting you will not mm-hmm. take away that um, that blessing and, and that joy. And I I think it is so true with what you're saying. Uh, With disease and a lot of things that people face today, it is so important as we can to be authentic and to be true to who we are. Is your mom still living?
4: My mom, no. My mom has passed away. Both my parents have passed away.
3: It was great that she was able to be there for you and to actually offer you that love and that support that must have made mm-hmm. all the difference in the world.
4: It really did. And and for my other members, you know, I'm the youngest of five, and there's eight years between my next sibling and myself, and then there's uh, between eight and 17 years to my oldest sibling. And they rallied, you know, and, and they embraced me and always have, and... Um, that was that was very helpful, and my dad was you know he was a very old school Italian, and but I, again I have to say you know he eventually came around, you know at at the time he was <clears throat> um, moving on and transitioning, I had been spending uh, I had been with a woman for probably five and a half years, and he really liked her. She was just a delightful delightful person, and about a week or two before he died, we were leaving his home and Erica was walking ahead of me and I was um, just holding the door open for her and he said to me, Hey, Denise, and I turned around and I said, Yeah, Dad? And he said, How did you get so lucky? And I knew then that that was his way of saying it's okay by me. Mm. You know? And again, I, I think it's, those little messages are important. And if they never come, there's still a way to do the healing. There's still a way for us. You know, If you know me, you know my message is about self-love is the all-time greatest healer. And sometimes people are going to do, and we feel mistreated or rejected. It's just them being them. And if we can get to a place where we can realize within ourselves that I love, God loves me no matter what. I don't, I don't, there's not one ounce of me that ever doubts that. And I don't want to insult God and not love myself the way God loves me. And I know because I have lived through a temple that self-love is the all-time greatest healer. I go through steps to take to work, work that through in my book because I believe that that is, you can give me all the medicine, but if I'm not, if I haven't stopped beating myself up for all the seemingly crazy wrong things I've done, and started on the path of forgiveness and loving myself, then we will continue to live an inauthentic life and create some kind of disruption, disease, or whatever you want to call it. You know I, I was um, I, I met somebody not long ago, and unfortunately, it really couldn't work out because this person was in living an inauthentic life. It, even at a late age, not willing to share herself with her family for fear of rejection about her being gay, and I realized if this person cannot be authentic with her family of origin because there was challenges, and I kept saying, "What's going on?" She would never be able to be authentic with me, and I had and I knew I just knew it. So it's it's a gift we give ourselves and our families too. And if they want to disown us, well then they might come around and if they don't at least we're living and standing firmly in the truth of who we are
3: and when you um when you were first diagnosed with um stage 4 cancer would you would you say that was like one of your first huge wake up calls about um, the necessity of, of really loving yourself, who you are, your path, how you were birthed to be, yep. the whole thing. I mean, was that when that huge layer of, oh my gosh? I mean, did you think you loved yourself already? You know, because Woo! I know that you are a very aware person and have been, yep. you know, following um, great philosophies and teaching all, all your life. Did you mm-hmm. just get to a core level of? there was still an area where you didn't love yourself?
4: Well, yeah, that's a great question. I, You know, I was just, I was a good unitic. I was going to unity and I was doing this and I was following the principles and I was understanding all of them and I was doing some of my own teaching and I was studying sound healing and then, bam, the, you know, cosmic 2 by 4 or the cosmic Mack truck, I should say, in my case, decided to, you know, put me to a stop. And it was really in the conversation that I had with my cancer. When I sat down, that's Chapter 6 in the book called "Pin for Pain in the Neck, and I said, okay, I'm not going to battle. I don't care what my doctor say. I'm not going to battle with you. I want to know who you are, what you're doing in my body, what I need to do to get rid of you, and how we can come to a place that more of me is healthy and less of me is is disrupted. So I'm going to use all the good stuff in me to love the stuff that isn't happy back to a place of love and calm and peace so You need to tell me what's going on in there. And so I would meditate, sit down, I'd take a pen, I'd write. This is a great exercise, by the way, for all you listening. I don't care if you have a bad day, if you have the flu, if you have diabetes, if you have Parkinson's, sit down and have a conversation in a very quiet space. Ask a question, write it down, and then my hand would write almost like automatic writing. And... Two of the most important things I learned when I asked my cancer, you know, what are you doing? Why here? Why now? And Penn said, stop beating yourself up for nothing. And when I said, I'm not beating myself up for nothing, Pin said, it doesn't feel that way in here. Now, <laughs> that took me aback and I said, wow, that is pretty profound. What is at the core of me? What is going on and what, you know, I, and then the next thing, before I get on to that, I don't, and, and the next thing was, the more you love yourself, the less reason for me to be around. And, you know, I spoke at a Unity Church uh, to a few hundred people last week, two weeks ago, and I said, do you ever think about what you think about? I got to sit down I had months and months, I couldn't talk, I couldn't eat, couldn't drink water. I had the luxury to think about what I think about. So I really did, to answer your question, have another layer of digging underneath what I thought was self-love to the pool of bliss, the way God loves me, and I can truly say, I really love myself. Do I have moments of doubt? Of course, I'm human. Do I have moments where, you know, I question things? Yes, but they're far few and far between and I always am able to come back to center much more quickly than I ever have. And I think about what I think about. I spend a lot of time I'm doing a lot of work with um, Mary Morrissey and um and she's all about that paying attention to what you're paying attention to.
3: Mhm. So you actually sit down with a pen on um online paper. Yep. And you just kind of walk yourself through almost a meditative process where you ask what you need Mm -hmm. to know and you just Mm -hmm. kind of allow yourself to be free and allow the emotions to kind of Mm -hmm. do the writing for
4: you. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, in Chapter 6 of my book, Pen, I documented some of the most raw, authentic interactions I had with Mm -hmm. Pen because I believe that's the only way to really help each other. If we're willing to really, you know... Pull the curtain aside and say, Hey, this is me. This is it. This is what I got. I think it's helpful because I've had a lot of people use that process. I had somebody who has diabetes um, say that they had amazing results they've been they're in their forties and they've been they were a diabetic since they were twelve, and they use this process. So many people call me, write to me, tell me um, some of the things they've they've done in conversing with the challenges they have in their lives. And the other thing, I think it's Chapter 7, Take a Good Look in the Mirror. I talk about um, not just saying I love you, but actually kissing yourself in the mirror and looking into those eyes of, you know, the windows to our soul and really meaning it. You know, we can, it's not an easy thing to do. We can just kind of fix our hair, make sure there's nothing in our teeth, you know, our makeup's on right, and But do we ever really spend that much time in the mirror? And it's not an easy thing to do, but it's, it's a pretty profound way to get into that place where you can truly say, I just, I just, I love you. Not in a conceited way, it's just, I love you. And then no matter what anyone says, whether you're gay, you're straight, you're black, you're white, you're, you know, a short person and you're, or you're whatever, when you have that conviction... And you know the depth of love that you have for self that we deserve to have, right? I mean, we're born into that, aren't we?
3: Absolutely.
4: Well, you know what? doesn't matter what anybody says about anything about me, I bless them on their way, and I know that I love myself, and that I'm okay.
3: Well, Ralph Waldo Emerson talks about the law of compensation, and he says that he stated in there that. Um, when someone would talk about him, he would always get ready to get excited because it meant something very good was going to come his way. (laughs) (laughs) Because any time he was on a downward spiral, it only meant that according to the law of compensation, with God being ready to roll the dice, that Uh then good was headed his way. So I'm Temple Hayes and you're listening today to um, a wonderful conversation with Denise DeSimone. She is the author of the book, From Stage 4 to Center Stage, a woman that has overcome the challenge that we call cancer, as well as rejection as a gay woman in her life. Um, Appreciate so much those of you that are listening and that will share this wonderful radio show with your friends we're in many countries and we thank you for your support for unity online radio i'll be right back after this short break
0: your intuition always knows best but can you hear that still small voice Spend a powerful weekend with Sonia Choquette at Unity Village and discover that place within you that just knows. Then use this connection to spirit to feel creative and inspired, and most importantly, to fuel authentic action in your life. Join us for The Power of Your Spirit with Sonia Choquette, August 24th and 25th. For details or to register, call one 866 348 or visit unityvillage.org forward slash Sonia Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: We now return to From Good to Amazing with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes.
3: Welcome back, everyone, and... As I said earlier, we're talking with Denise de Simone today. You can go to denisedesimone.com and you can read about her work and her various speaking engagements. You can also listen to her singing the Star Spangled Banner in the Boston Red Sox game, one of her amazing accomplishments after being diagnosed with breast cancer. Denise, you're just a true role model, and it just is so powerful to see what you're doing with your life, and your willingness to to share your message. Uh, how long ago was it that you were diagnosed, actually, with with cancer? Yeah,
4: you. I, I just want to, just for those listening, um, I think you just, said breast cancer, but it was stage 4 throat and neck cancer.
3: Yeah, actually I didn't say what kind, but it was, it was throat
4: cancer. Yeah, stage 4 throat and neck cancer. Um, How long after I was diagnosed did I sing the National Anthem? No, how
3: long ago was it that you were diagnosed with cancer? Oh,
4: it was, um, it will be 7 years this next month.
3: Wow, congratulations.
4: I can't even believe it. But, but I just wanted to um, just uh, take a moment here. I was speaking with a friend of mine in Charlotte, North Carolina, who asked me to tell you, um, and Kate, I know she's listening, she's a, just a divine light on this planet, and she said, I want you to tell Reverend Temple that those that minute with Temple that she sends out is making a huge difference in my life and I know a lot of other people's lives, and so it is great. I love I love it when I get those and I sit down and watch it, you know, it takes a minute. But that's some good stuff, Temple, so thank you.
3: Oh, thank you for saying that. Well, I'm yes. I'm enjoying doing them, you know. I love yeah. those little vignettes and those little yeah. simple stories. And yeah. that's why I love doing this radio show, because um, I really believe that we're all here to live an amazing life and mm-hmm. we can let our good get in the way of our amazing um, we can just be ordinary rather than understanding the depth of a life that's extraordinary. And I feel that's why you're such an inspiration, Denise, because um, there, are, there are many people that um, along the way survive cancer. There are other people, however, like yourself, that thrive from cancer, and mm-hmm. and take it to a whole new level of teaching and, and modeling um, to others in the world. And, of course, of overcoming many obstacles in your life. And I think that sometimes we look at someone like you and we go, wow, my gosh, but you have overcome a number of adversarial experiences in your life, such as um, living in the 70s and 80s as being very different in the world and, mm-hmm. and and being gay, and it's so exciting to see what's going on in our world today where people are in rich conversations, and um, some people ask me, well, you know, are you positive that, that one day will come when... You know, things will actually change and we'll have the same rights and, you know, all that. And and I just love to say I'm in awe that we're in the conversation at all. You know, I, I never thought in my 20s or 30s that we would ever be in the type of conversations that we are now. Um, about what it's like to be living in a gay life or homosexual or whatever words that you know mm-hmm. people feel more comfortable using um mm-hmm. because of just all the rejection and everything I had experienced as a child, it was mm-hmm. pretty uh pretty devastating
4: mm-hmm. and you know i i'm I'm holding the belief that yeah we deserve equal rights, you know I'm blessed I live in the northeast, I live in Massachusetts, the first state that made gay marriage legal. I mean, it's it's I'm, it's it's different, you know. I spent some time down in the Carolinas writing my book, and it's way it's very different down south. It's 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 not as definitely not as open, you know. I know North Carolina when all their hearts were broken down there with Amendment One, but you know, it all in good time, and we can't run away from it. We have to stay peaceful, and we have to stay in a place that we take a stand. You know, it's like we have to take a stand for what we believe. Look at It wasn't that long ago when blacks couldn't even use the same bathroom, and Obama is our president. So, you know, we just have to stay the course. We have to keep, keep, keep true to ourselves and be peacefully diligent and persistently um, patient, <laughs> but still all the while, know where we're headed. And I believe we're headed. We we should be headed and, and always focused on the result of having rights that we all deserve the same rights. We are all people and we deserve to be treated equally.
3: Absolutely. And the more that we can all um, be true and be authentic and um, live out loud. I love that mm-hmm. statement. Someone asked yeah. me what I came here to do and And I said, um, I actually came here to live out loud. That Mm -hmm. is so powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have a lot of people um, write in to you that have issues with their sexuality and and you're able to help them?
4: You know, it's an interesting question. A, a, A few, but I don't really have that many, more than anything I have a lot of people who write into me about cancer, either with themselves or someone they love who's suffering. How can, you know, if I some people think if I just do everything Denise did, I'm going to end up like she did. Well, that's not the case. That's not that is not the case. Um, you know, I'm I'm just I'm was on my path and this is where I'm at and everybody has their own path. So, I get more um more people wanting to know about the cancer. And I'm I just wanna say here that I'm really appreciative of you wanting to address this. The book's been out a year ago this month and this is the first time I've really had a conversation about that section of the book and that part of my life. So I applaud you and and very deep from a deep place in my heart I feel a lot of gratitude for you having me on to open up this topic and discuss this for many people out there that struggle with this. Because well, you I just feel really think it, alone. Yeah, you
3: do feel really alone and I, I think it's just such a powerful conversation to have because mm-hmm. um, you know, when you have this type of wound in your life from being so uniquely different, um, mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are a lot of young people that are out there uh, listening as well and at the time you think it's only you or that no one will relate, or that no one can understand. But the truth of the matter is you live long enough that people do, and it does work out. And um, it it does all make sense inevitably, but when you carry wounds in your body, it's, it's going to only affect you, you know, in the physical dimension. I mean, that's what we know, and that's part of the richness of what you're book is about I was reading on your blog where you were working with Caroline Sutherland with Mm -hmm. um, some of her advisement about giving up sugar and wheat and Mm -hmm. like you're saying you it's twofold you focus on what you're eating and you focus on what's eating you and both Amen. of those elements are are mm-hmm. equally valuable you can mm-hmm. make all the adjustment with your food choices all day long but if the emotional body is eating away at you if you live in a world of feeling that rejection and that heaviness in your heart and soul or like you're saying if intellectually you you love yourself but emotionally you look in the mirror and go yeah right you're just one big yuck i mean you know that's not a a thriving life that's not a a life of of really thriving and and expressing and feeling um, self-expressed and it's such a wake-up call when you have something um, such as you did to say wait a minute you know i thought I thought I was doing the work, you know. I, I thought I was working with the exercises of caring about myself and self-acceptance and things like that. But I, I think anyone out there can agree that you can always go deeper, and you can go deeper into a way of telling the truth about how you really feel uh, about yourself as well as those around you.
4: And, you know, that's so true. And we never reach the acme of self-love. It's a moment-by-moment, day-by-day. Thank God we have this day to practice again. Thank God we were given this day to be able to exercise, you know, those spiritual muscles. We go to the, the gym and exercise our muscles so when we have to lift something heavy, we're there and we can call upon our muscles to help us do that. Well, I call it the spiritual gymnasium. That's why we go and do these things for our spiritual strength so when we need it we call upon our spiritual strength, and that is about love and compassion. and it's always we can be quick to give it to someone else, but it's not easy to do it for ourselves, and I know it's the all time greatest healer. And one other thing I want to say i was I said this to you last time we spoke was one thing I learned that is so critical, and i would i just hope I wish everyone in the world could get this message and if we just moved, if we stepped just one step to the side of being judgmental, into a place of being curious, how much would shift?
3: It would be such a different world, wouldn't it?
4: It would be a huge different world. My world is different since I realized I don't want to be judgmental. I want to be curious. And okay, here's the flip side of that. When I feel like I'm being judged, what happens to me is I get curious about how come they're judging me. Like, what is it about them that they, I'm, I get curious, like, isn't that curious? I don't want to defend it. You know, you start getting defensive about someone judging you, and that's the first line of war. I don't want war. I want to understand. So if somebody, if, so if I feel I'm judging something, or if somebody's judging something, I say to them, what if you were curious about that? But the other side of it is, if I feel, ex- or if someone is judging me, I'm just curious about, gee, wonder what's going on for them that. They want to feel that or they want to be judgmental about that instead of just being curious. It's interesting,
3: isn't it? It's very interesting. And I think that would be just another way that people could delve into move in beyond just having an epiphany of, wow, you know, hmm. I can uh, think higher thoughts um, in the course of every day to taking it to a place of action. Um, using the pen idea that you mentioned earlier in the show of just Mm -hmm. being able to write, in what ways am I judgmental? And it's Mm -hmm. so odd because it kind of catches you off guard sometimes, you know.
5: Um,
3: Before you know it, you become self-righteous, you know, about what somebody else ought to be doing or how they ought to do it or how it would be better for them if they would do it the way that you do it. And um, it's just just an energy zapper is all it is because you're so right. And when I catch myself (laughs) doing that, I usually wind up, you know, within a very short period of time having something very similar to what they had, and then I get to deal with it and understand it and grow from it, you know. <laughs> yes. That's for sure. So yeah. we call that yeah. karma, don't we? Karma. <laughs> yeah, you what know, goes life out is there. too
4: precious to live in upset. That's what I've said for a long time. Life is too, too precious to live in upset. You know, I mean, there's so much going on out there. The most, I mean, the, the, the most, the most precious part of every day is the fact that we get to breathe and we get to laugh and we get to have fun. That's what we ought to be doing, you know. What what do they say? Children laugh about 200 times a day and adults laugh, laugh less than 20 times a day. Maybe not even close to 20 times a day.
3: And I think that's a great way for us to end our time together today to invite all of you to to mm-hmm. practice more laughter in your life. As Marie Os- Osmond says, you're going to laugh at yourself one day. Why not go ahead and just start today? <laughs> Children laugh a couple of hundred times a day, and adults, we're laughing 20 times a day. Well, it's very obvious that we, uh, we have a little bit more to put in. I'm Temple Hayes, and I want to thank all of you for joining us today has been talking with Denise de Simone she's the author of stage from stage four to center stage and you can go to her website Denise de Simone and you can find out more about her and purchase a book it is the conversation that so many people are talking about it's definitely a book that you want to get for your family and friends and people that you know that right now are facing cancer in their lives. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And, Denise, thank you for being here on the show. You're just a great guest. And thank you for your willingness to share your story.
4: Thank you. God bless. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure.
3: God bless. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
0: The Unity message is universal, uniting, empowering, and transformational. Carrying this message to the world with the power of music and song are scores of singers and songwriters who dedicate their extraordinary gifts to helping heal the world and spread the message of unity and oneness. These are the Messengers of Unity.
5: We salute the Messengers of Unity The voices of of all humanity. Heroes with weapons of melody and rhyme. Waging peace, one song at a time.
0: Tune in to Pazapalooza, music that matters, with host Richard McDesey to hear the music and the artists who are changing the world, one song at a time. Fridays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Unity FM. The Voice of an Awakening World. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened.
1: This meditative moment from Rev. Joan Catuso and Unity Magazine is brought to you by Unity. Are you ready for the next steps on your spiritual path? If you are, you won't want to miss the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. Essential insights and practices from the ancient yoga science of self-realization show us how to live healthier, happier, more balanced lives. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and realize your infinite potential, Tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific. Only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.